stand and as you turn to your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. That's where we're going to go this morning. You're probably going to see me wearing glasses more often. Some of you are more familiar with them than I. They're becoming more and more necessary. So John chapter 21, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. And we're going to be starting at verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 17. And it says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will come with you. And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they, placed, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of fish, 153, although there were so many, the net was not torn. But Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was, after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breaking breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You may be seated. As we think about this passage I mentioned it on last Sunday, just seeking the Lord, probably like a lot of you, just saying, Lord, 
What are you trying to say? What is it that we need to hear from you? And reading through this passage, just that whole idea, I, I, like, I like the word there. It says manifested there in verse 1. Jesus came and met with these men face to face. When things are difficult, we need face-to-face encounters with the risen God. Amen? And we get to be that for one another today. Oh, I mean, like, how I wish, probably like you, that Jesus would have just arrived here this morning and said, hey, I have a message for you, (laughs) right? In person, face-to-face, and yet he says that we are to be that to one another. His ambassadors, his representatives, a reflection, a a light on a hill, right? We need those face-to-face relationships. He knew that we would need them, and so here he is. He knew these men would need that face-to-face encounter with him again to be encouraged. And How many times did he appear to the disciples and many others? Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, To these he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. In an article from Answers in Genesis, by the way, a great great resource if you need one, and it was in their magazine called Answers, Tim Chaffee provides these insights. Scripture mentions at least 10 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, many of which are listed in 1 Corinthians. Jesus appeared separately to Paul, Peter, James, the rest of the apostles, and over 500 brethren at one. At once. Most of these people were still alive when, Peter, when Paul wrote these words, implying that his readers could check with these witnesses if they didn't take his word for it. So we have an intelligent faith. We are not believing just in a fairy tale or a philosophical book. We are believing in the historical record. Jesus appeared to his disciples, to men and women he loved and taught while revealing the kingdom of God in the new covenant. His heart was to bring peace where there was a lot of chaos and uncertainty. Besides appearing to several different women at or near the tomb, that's in John chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 28, he appeared to Peter, Luke 24, to two disciples on their road to Emmaus, Luke 24 as well, to the disciples minus Thomas, John chapter 20, The 11 disciples, John chapter 27 of the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. The 11 disciples on a mountain in Matthew chapter 28 to Jesus' brother James, 1 Corinthians 15, to some 500 disciples at one time, again, 1 Corinthians 15. And finally, to Saul of Tarsus or Paul that we know him to be in Acts chapter 9. Why is this important? Because we need to know that he is going to meet with us. 
at all times that he is going to be present. Second Corinthians 5.18, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Why is he appearing? Because he wants to reconcile the things, restore the relationships. Restore those relationships that were damaged by fear, by abandonment, doubt, and even betrayal. He told them, John chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 14, again, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Because what was the reality of their circumstance? There was a lot of fear, wasn't there? If you could just place yourself in that moment, right? After the resurrection, when everything else seemed to be falling apart, the man that they had been following, that they had loved, and it seems like everything is coming unraveled, and he is like, fear not. He purposed to meet them face to face to assure them of his forgiveness, of his love, and his intention to use them to use you and I with all of our weaknesses and failures for his glory. Aren't you glad? We have a real purpose. It's not just to take up space, to breathe the air, maybe even be in wonderment by his beauty and creation, but to cooperate in the kingdom work on this planet until he comes back. Now, many of you may know that I serve as a chaplain for a local law enforcement agency. And after traumatic events, we gather those individuals involved in that event, whether it's dispatchers, law enforcement, other first responders, and we do something called a critical incident stress debrief. The Bible would call it sharing one another's burdens. <laughs> that we would gather together, we would share perhaps um, whoever's leading that, that debriefing, they might share audio recordings of 911 tapes, video recordings. There'll be opportunities to look at diagrams and ask questions to fill in like memory gaps that people have in crisis events, to, to answer questions that they're uncertain of, like, how did I respond and was it good? Or maybe I don't think I responded well. Really to cope with the emotions and to mitigate how we feel about those crisis events and to restore a healthy view of those events. According to Ecclesiastes 1.9, there is nothing new under the sun. And as the author of Critical Incident Stress Management, Jesus uses all these things right now in the disciples' lives. Visual, auditory, tactile, the sense of smell, all these things he uses now to restore his disciples to a spiritually and emotionally healthy state. How do we know that that happened? Let's just jump ahead, the day of Pentecost. 
And what is Peter doing? Preaching before a large crowd where not many weeks before he was denying the Lord. Let's look at our passage this morning. I'm going to break it down into little sections. We're not going to read every section all over again. But verses 1 through 3. Just as Jesus told them to do in Matthew and Mark's gospel, the disciples go to the Sea of Galilee. He says, go into Galilee. I will meet you there. And Why is this location important? Well, from the historical and biblical record, we know that four of the disciples were called while fishing. The remaining eight lived and worked around the Sea of Galilee. So this was familiar ground for them. This is where Jesus met them, called them, ministered to them and with them, rescued them at times. Think of on the Sea of Galilee. And they witnessed his many miracles in and around this area. The sights, the smells, the sounds of the sea would really evoke a lot of emotions for them as they are now there again. And he did not want them to forget. Some of those memories would be, in our minds, humorous. Others would be heartbreaking. Some, many would be joyful. Again, can you imagine if you were there with Jesus now on the shore? We're, we're getting to that part, but... And he has brought us to a place that we would remember all the good things. Because there's a lot of them, aren't there? Can we testify and say, God has done amazing things? Absolutely. I mean, we just came out of Thanksgiving. And what's the whole purpose of Thanksgiving? It's to acknowledge God is the sovereign creator, sustainer, and provider of all things. And he wanted them to remember the good things. But he also wanted to address some of those harder things. He wanted to draw them back to a place of memories. In verses 4 through 8, like many of us, when we were with a group of friends, the disciples shared stories. I think some of us probably did that on Thanksgiving. Maybe you're with family and you're telling those stories with your parents or your siblings, and your parents sometimes find out things you did as a child that you all hid from them, right? <laughs> or maybe you found out you thought you hid from them. <laughs> they, but these guys, they, this is a place that have a lot of shared stories of where they were and the circumstances of Jesus asking them to follow him. And we know this because we actually have a biblical record, which is them sharing the stories, right? The truth, the reality of those events with us. In Matthew chapter 4, Peter, Andrew, and James, and John are all fishing when Jesus asks them to follow him. Additionally, in Luke chapter 5, we can read the story of Jesus asking the disciples to row out and cast their net. Even after fishing, how long? All night without success. As they hauled in the impossible catch, they recognized his divine power with that sense of awe and wonder. And Peter knelt there on the beach and told Jesus, I love what he says, go away from me, Lord, 
for I am a sinful man. He's, he's making them recall amazing good things. And some of those is our acknowledgement, God, I'm a mess. And but by your grace, I would still be a mess. Here in John 21, they are no less in awe. However, it's now mixed with many, many other emotions as they recall their prior encounters with Jesus in and around this kind of memory-filled area, the sea. And this morning, as we consider our lives, what memories do we now recall? What things, as we think of their lives and their circumstances, how do our lives parallel those? What does it stir in up? Stir up in us. Are we here perhaps with a sense of awe and wonder? Or maybe it's mixed with other emotions this morning? That is a good place to be. It can be if we choose to focus those things around Jesus Christ. In verses 9 through 14, there are at least two memory cues that engage all of the disciples' senses. The charcoal fire, and there with the bread and the fish on it. And just as an interesting side note, I don't, people try to make a lot out of this. I'm just going to say this. This word, this Greek word, charcoal fire, there's only two places in the entire Bible this exists. And it's here, and then in John chapter 18. And John chapter 18 is when Peter stands outside the court of the high priest and stands next to what? A charcoal fire. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13 and 18 all record the same event as Jesus and the disciples end their time, as we're kind of rolling back now, in the upper room, and as they are now preparing to depart to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus warns them. He warns them they will all fall away as he is betrayed and the prophecy of Zechariah 13 is fulfilled. And Peter, and eventually all the disciples, declare that they will go to their deaths with him. A few hours later, they will all, in fact, scatter. And Peter will stand at a charcoal fire outside the court of Annas, the high priest, and denying even knowing Jesus. Matthew 26 records, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Because this is the reality for all of us. We have failed the Lord at some point, even after we have come to faith. Amen? And we... Not probably. We are going to do it again. The question is, what will we do with that? 
with each other and in our relationship with the Lord because this is what he's trying to develop in these men. Listen, I know you failed, but I have promised to never leave you for nor forsake you. I've given you my peace. I've given you my Holy Spirit present in your life. I am restoring you, reconciling you to myself. The sight and smell of the simple fire. Man, I just think, like, put myself in Peter's position. That'd be like someone throwing a hot coal into your jacket, (laughs) right? And you desperately want to get it out. It is just burning through you as you think about that memory. Like, that guilt, that shame, that self-hatred. And as imperfect people... I'm sure we can imagine again the memories that have flooded Peter's mind and find some connection with those. Look again at verse 14. It says, the baking fish and bread. Now, perhaps this event, and as we think about the historical record, if you've been to Israel before, if you get an opportunity By God's grace, I would say go. It will make the scriptures come alive in a purely unique way. But this is perhaps near the modern-day city of Tabgah, which is at the foot of what many to to, to be the Mount of Beatitudes mentioned in Matthew chapter 5. And, and the site of very, what Josh read this morning, I love the fact that we didn't talk about it, and he read that, and I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> That was God's providence, just knitting everything together. But they're in Matthew chapter 5, and, and they have this great cloud of people all around him, and what does he have to share with them? Five loaves and two fish. A similar account is recorded in Mark chapter 6. Again, Josh read part of it. And that took place near the Decapolis. It's farther away. But in both cases, once again, Jesus breaks the bread and divides the fish among his disciples. Do you see again what he's doing? He's saying, I want you to hold on to those good things. This is the command of scripture, right? That we would dwell on good things, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, right? You know this. Think on these things. I will admit as, as a pastor, as a, as a man, a human being, like we say to my family, my wife is the funny one. I'm the more serious one. She's more the glasses half full. I'm the half empty. We can shift into this so easily, can't we? I'm just like, man, it's bad. It's horrible. And forget the truly amazing good things. And he wants them to remember these things. And he's engaging all of their senses as they're processing through this traumatic event. He says, I want you to remember with every sense you have the full impact of what I'm here for. But add to that is the memory of Jesus breaking bread in the upper room and giving it to them. Luke 22, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance 
of me. And we're going to do that next Sunday. We're going to celebrate communion together. Was there sorrow? Absolutely. But what joy as, all, as, as they comprehend the height and the depth of his words and his presence as they ate that bread and ate the fish together with the full knowledge of his forgiveness and reconciliation, his restoration of relationship. And that brings us to verse 15 through 17. There are three reconciling statements from Jesus to Peter, but it's also in the presence of his fellow believers, the other disciples. It's not like he pulled him off to the side necessarily and said, hey, I have a secret message for you. He's talking to Peter with the other disciples present. Again, I I know we've read this passage many times. I, I pray that we would grasp it with a new perspective this morning. Throughout his life, Jesus used repetition, this kind of traditional Hebrew technique when communicating. Um, This was used so a listener or a reader like us today would not miss that, that profound point that he is trying to make. He says, I don't want you to miss this just in case you're a little distracted. Um, something's got your attention. Listen up. This is important. He, he does this in John chapter 13, verse 38. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? And then he says, truly, truly. He's saying, listen up, listen up. I say to you, a rooster will not crow you crow until you deny me three times. And this wasn't... There are many, if you went and searched in a concordance and looked for those words, truly, truly, or verily, verily, it's over and over and over again. He's saying, I want you to remember. And he's doing this now with the disciples, with Peter. He is engaging repetition because he says, I don't want you to miss this. Having denied Jesus three times, Jesus determined to affirm his love and forgiveness to Peter three times. Now, in discussing this with one of my former Bible college professors, we need to remember Jesus and Peter, they're speaking in Aramaic, which for God's purpose is translated for us into Greek, kind of a common person's Greek. And there are two different Greek words used here for love in these verses. But I want to set that aside because the larger context of this passage is about reconciliation. Restoration of the relationship, not the quality of the love between Jesus and Peter and the disciples. It's about restoration. So that we're going to focus on that. Remember, all the disciples are hearing this exchange. They all know they have abandoned Jesus on that dark Friday. Think about it. They all scattered. They all said, as Peter said, we will go to our deaths with you. But where did they go? At least Peter went a little bit farther. With that in mind, I want to take you back to the events described. Again, this is in Matthew 26, Mark 14, 
Luke 22 and also John 13. If we were to kind of combine these passages together, these four, we might could understand this. Jesus tells the disciples that we'll all fall away this very night. Satan has asked to sift Peter like wheat. Peter responds that though all the other disciples would fall away, he said that. (laughs) He was known for foot and mouth disease. He says, they might, but I will not abandon you. Jesus tells Peter, hey, I'm the Lord. You're going to deny me three times. This is going to happen. Peter says, I'll go to, go to death with you. And then all the disciples chime in and say, yeah, we'll go with you too. I'm sure it was a little bit with some bitterness, maybe like Peter kind of threw us under the bus. <laughs> we'll go with you, right? And then there in the garden, they all flee. Peter goes a little farther, farther and they go into that place but then he does carry out the truth. Each of them was hearing the restorative words of Jesus. As we think about our own life circumstances, I'm not just talking about events of this last week. I'm talking about our lives before and after and now. As we think about those restorative words, what are we thinking about? What am I thinking about? They were hearing that they could be freed from a cycle of sin and shame that Pastor Josh spoke about from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 21. And I would encourage you to go listen to that message. In that message, he showed the cycle that starts with sin, which moves on to guilt, and if unaddressed with repentance, will naturally lead to self-hatred and finally to shame. And then we can live on that crazy cycle, can't we? However, here on the shore of Galilee, we see Peter talking and perhaps once again speaking for the others as well of his love with Jesus with a repentant heart. Jesus is true to his nature. He restores the broken relationship in a way that could not be misunderstood. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He knew the answer. And that third time, Peter says, listen, you know all things. You know the thoughts and intent of my heart like no one can. There are not a lot of words, have you noticed, if you combine even all these passages, not a lot of words being spoken. And that's kind of typical with the group of men. Amen? As we work through an emotional problem, we keep, we, you know, just the facts, just the facts. Yet here in acknowledgement of sin, guilt, shame, repentance, it's present. And equally present is the ever available forgiveness of the Savior. 
I want to read to you Psalm 51, verses 7 through 12. It says, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. As we think through this, are we able perhaps now to put our names there in the place of the disciples? Are we there in that moment, in the sights and the sounds and the smells, to say, oh, Lord, I remember so many good things. And yeah, there is, Lord, there's some plaguing things that I don't like. Or maybe you heard this morning, so like right now, it's like, just seems like all bad. I don't know that peace and that comfort. Do we recall our weaknesses, our denials, our failures? Or, but are we able also to remember God's amazing grace. The awe-inspiring times when we have experienced the presence of Jesus Christ. I can certainly recall the times I've denied God's word and the Lord's rightful place in my, t- my life. You see, nearly 33 years ago, Two weeks, just two weeks after I surrendered my life to Jesus, we were sitting at a table sharing a meal, Sam and I, with friends. And Sam and, and Joyce were wondering aloud what God might do with these two men had, that had come to faith. And I completely killed the moment when I put my finger literally in my wife's face. She said, wouldn't it be wonderful if you became a pastor, and I said, that will never happen. (laughs) But there's more. (laughs) 20 years ago, in this very church, I dropped out of Bible college, handed off the youth ministry to another at this church, and abandoned all ministry in this church for eight years. Why? You see, because I refused to yield to the leading and the calling of God. My bargain was, you know what? I'll be a youth leader. God, that's what I do, and I made my plan. And he frustrated my plan, and so I said, forget it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm through. And for eight years in this church, Pastor Doug and the leadership loved me well even though I was kind of like, you know, Pigpen from Peanuts, if you're old enough to remember that, and how we always walk with this dirty cloud following him. And it's like, mine, mine was a dirty cloud and a dark cloud. Until he brought me back to that place once again that he said, didn't I, didn't I purchase you? Isn't that the agreement 
you made when you surrendered your life to me is that it was all of you for all of me. And once again, coming to that place of brokenness, like, Lord, I have so messed this up. Like the disciples, like me, have you had similar moments in your life? Let's not forget the truth about life and circumstances. 1 John 1, 9 through 10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, wake up. (laughs) We make him a liar and his word is not in us. From the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, one, there is one sure thing that we can learn, and that is that we've all sinned. We have all rebelled. We have all forgotten. We have all betrayed. And we need his forgiveness so that we could be reconciled or restored in our relationship with God and then in relationship to one another. Because throughout our lives, the Lord has given us and allowed us to store memories comprised of sights and sounds and smells and tastes. And each and every one of them, if we are looking to him, may provoke in us reminders from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I think they're up on the screen. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For who? For those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, does not, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, love never fails. And we're not talking about earthly love, are we? We are talking about the love that God demonstrates to us, pours into us, and asks us to pour out on others. It is to reflect the love of God. And this is the challenge that we now face. In all of our life, from from our distant past that we may or may not remember, to the future that we have no knowledge of, Do we listen to the lies of the enemy and believe repentance is not possible? Forgiveness is not available. Guilt, self-hatred, and shame are my lot in life until bitterness consumes me piece by piece. Because trust me, I have been there. How in the world, God, after eight years, how in the world after I stood before my bride as a new believer and said, never, not gonna happen. 
how could you forgive me? And this is the message he's trying to communicate to these men and to us today. He wants to meet with us and remind us of the truth. We have the other option is to embrace Jesus. There on that shore, that place of forgiveness and reconciliation, looking into his eyes as he says to you and me, as he said to Peter and the disciples, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. The Lord recorded those phrases so that you and I would know, like Peter and the disciples listening, that not only has he restored the relationship, that he can restore the relationship, but that he has also restored the central purpose of the believer's life, and that is to make Jesus' name known. To where? To the very ends of the earth. With forgiveness and with his Holy Spirit dwelling in us, despite our faults, our failures, he trusts us to teach his word. He trusts us to teach his word in all of our weirdness. <laughs> I still trust you to teach my word because I've placed my Holy Spirit in you. Whether young or old, we are to do it to guide those who desire to surrender to him and continue to make disciples. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. We know this passage well. We recently had it taught to us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses, their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is a powerful the most powerful purpose on this earth to be used of God, to make God's name great for his glory. This is Jesus's invitation to each one of us today to be reconciled to him. Amen? God, we acknowledge this morning that we are we're a messed up people we could certainly echo the words of the scripture and says woe is me for i'm undone i'm a man of unclean lips and i live among a people of unclean lips yet you remain faithful to forgive your word says it is your kindness that brings us to repentance. And Lord, we could think as we read your word, I pray that we could think of all the areas 
that we failed you. And I pray that we would be reminded of what you've done to fix those things. To reconcile them. That we would not forget the amazing things that you have done in our lives, in my life. That we would be willing today, maybe for some the first time to say, Lord, I love you. Or Lord, you know I love you. And I pray that it would inspire us as we move in from Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving season now into the Christmas season, the remembrance of your humility and compassion and patience and love, or that it would inspire us all the more provoke us to see with your eyes to hear with your ears this world and all its brokenness, each other in our brokenness, and say, Lord, how can I help? How can I participate in the powerful work of your kingdom by the power of your spirit? We would be a people of grace and mercy because we've been reconciled. This morning, if you'll stand with me. As we do, and we will continue to do, there are people to my right and my left to pray with you. If you are here this morning and you personally have never said to God, I have sinned against you. I know what kind of mess I am. I believe that you came to offer grace and I want to accept this. I want to place my faith in you. This morning, I would invite you to consider the truth and to surrender your life to Jesus. As we close in some songs, again, myself, there'll be others up here, or there are others up here that would gladly pray with you. But in a moment of transparency, I would just ask, if you are here this morning, you're saying, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I want to accept his gift. I want to be reconciled. Would you be so bold as to raise a hand this morning and say, I believe, I want to follow? Because Jesus says, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. And this is a good place for us to be. Not one of us can stand here and say, we deserve God's kindness. Amen? But by his grace, we are what we are. If you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I have made some serious messes and I just can't see how God could use me in his kingdom. 
please do not believe the lie. If he could use those men and women who abandoned him, betrayed him, were in fear and hid, who denied the truth of his words, we are in good company, aren't we? If he can use them, if he can transform them, as the scripture says, turning the world upside down, he certainly can use you and I. Amen. 